This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning, good morning everybody. It is Sunday morning and this is the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and uh, at at 8.30 we'll hear about one woman's university project uh, that to divert household waste from landfill, how it turned into an award-winning invention when we chat with the founder of Monty Compost Co, hopefully, because I realised on the way in this morning that uh, she is based in Queensland and, of course, they are an hour uh, behind us at the moment and I did forget to mention that fact to Ashley, so hopefully um, we'll be all good for 8.30. But now I'd like to welcome three super-duper expert guests to the studio. We have landscape designer Loretta Childs, we have landscape designer and owner of Oka Landscape, Evan Gorky, and plant creative and author of Super Bloom and the Super Bloom Handbook, Maximum Flowers, Minimum Effort, Jack Semler. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, my kind of gardening, minimum, minimum effort. <laughs> minimum effort. Morning. Exactly. exactly. And Evan came in with a enormous bunch of flowers, mostly inspired by Jack being in here. Is that right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I looked up her Instagram this morning and I thought, oh, my God. I better take in lots of flowers. <laughs> and ironically, Jack didn't bring in any. <laughs> Thanks for helping me out, Evan. Love it. <laughs> but she, she did bring in her two books, so we will definitely chat about that later. Yes. So how is everyone? Well, very well. You didn't mention my flowers. I mean, you know. You did like bring in Evan, some flowers, Evan's Loretta. now just like, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry he stole the show, Loretta. He stole Loretta. the show and I yeah. have these pathetic little natives, you know. <laughs> oh, but what wonderful natives. And yeah. some of uh, some of them I'm actually growing in my own garden yeah. too. I just love the selection you've brought in. Yeah, they're, they're a lovely selection. I do have some natives in there as well. Oh, good. One of my favourites, Orthosanthrus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. nice. It's just such a great plant. Yeah. It mm. should be planted way more than it is mm. also extremely easy to grow from seed i don't know if you've ever grown it but it makes multiple seed like little uh little poppy seeds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh so easy to grow which one do you have multiflora Multi- yeah, yeah mm-hmm. which is i think the most yeah. that's the sort of really common one to grow yeah. in gardens because yeah. it's just such a good doer yeah so uh, good strappy plant yeah great yeah. strappy plant great light green 
um, in, interesting in that, like, to pick a flower to come in here, it's useless because you need the sun out because they don't open yeah. until yeah. the sun's out. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're just the most beautiful purpley colour, mm. which I think purple is a great colour in the garden. Beautiful. goes with so much. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and it flowers for ages, you know. It flowers sequentially up the stem. Mm. So uh, and the bees love it. It's, yeah. it's got so much going for it, oh, yet you don't see it that much. Yeah, no, exactly. No. grows in full sun, grows in quite yeah. a bit of shade and flowers yeah. in quite a bit of shade. You do it's see just... it when you're into native gardens because you go to native gardens and people who have native <laughs> gardens know how good it is. <laughs> that is true. So, yes, you, yeah. do, you do. And I guess when you have an eye for it, it's like, oh, yeah. beautiful, it's flowering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And, and the longevity, so much so, I think, of like the Inlicria, this grevillea that just has been flowering for months yeah it's just been absolutely beautiful (coughs) end of winter going into spring and it's still going and i'll still have it for at least another month Mm. yeah so this is grevillea in the yeah so explain a little bit about it because it's such a beautiful shrub well it's you're going up to excuse me (coughs) um a meter and a half by a good metre in diameter, long, strappy, linear leaves, um, silvery grey, which is beautiful. I don't really, I've just sort of, this was in the dark, so I didn't get any leaf. Oh, there's wig. But they're just beautiful. And then on the heads um, are these masses and masses of these soft pink, as we know, spidery, soft flowers. Um, and what I love about it is that if I've got it north facing and in the the slightest breeze and these huge, delicate, delicate heads. Mm. So they're not showy, showy, but on mass I have nine, maybe ten planted in Mm. a mass planting. Um, And beautiful because you also have probably about six or seven hundred of trunk and then they start to branch out. And that's what's um, really – because you, it's a beautiful opportunity for underplanting as well, which I have some adenanthus under it, a prostrate form at the moment. Mm. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I've got growing it in my verge as well. And that opportunity, because it is so airy and the light picks up all those gorgeous flowers and the way that it can really create an amazing environment where you can do so much layered planting beneath yeah. it as well as having these beautiful, like, airy things that pick up the light. Yeah, Just fabulous. Yeah, it looks yeah. very wispy. Very mm, um, and, and I imagine that when it, yeah. in the breeze, you'd probably even if it's not yeah, in flower, you'd get that really lovely yeah. movement mm. and perhaps that silvery colour yeah. of the back of the leaves. Yeah, and a, through. A, a little tip is to go in there with your hedges, and you give them a good hedge cut mm. afterwards. Which you know, we're we're becoming more and more knowledgeable about the fact that natives are not afraid of a haircut. Mm. Um, I think very recently there was a chap on Grevilleas, a specialist on um, GA, um, on the tally there, and talking about this incredibly heavy duty pruning of your Grevilleas, mm. but. Most most do enjoy mm, yeah, a good haircut. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and the way they perform when you're doing that little bit of training, that little bit of tip pruning, mm. especially when they're young, you yeah. just get so many more flowers, yeah. so much beautiful density from that. Yeah, absolutely. You better repeat the name of it because people are probably thinking <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm I think go, that's gonna go buy one today. What the hell is it? Yeah. <laughs> Gravilia in Licriana. And I can spell it for you. Go on then. Will I? All right, quick. I'm going to get <laughs> it right. I do know. Does it I do have a know. common name that, that, that people could pick up Actually, easily? no. Not that I know no. of. No. Proteaceae family. Um, E-N-D-E-N-D-L-I-C-H-E-R-I-N-D-L-I-C-H-E-R-I-N-D-L-I-C-H-E-R-I-N-D-L-I-C-H-E-R-I-N-D-L-I-C-H-E-R-I-N-
I N A. Beautiful. Mm. It is phonetic, very phonetic. Yeah, Mm. what I love about it, it, it's one of those plants which is quite valuable in the garden in that it's a little bit see-through. And I recently visited a garden in Listerfield, the garden of um, Chris Larkin, and um, she has got the most incredible 100% native garden, apart from one plant one south african um geranium species geranium which is sentimental but 100 percent native and chris is um very strong on being able to see through the garden so she's created a stroll garden so Mm. just essentially it's wide beds everywhere a few ponds and um lots of paths and steps and it's just absolutely delightful and yeah she's extremely strong on Introducing height in certain areas, but being able to see through it so that you can see the whole Mm. gun and it creates these vistas the whole way through. And she's very much against what she calls blobs, those really dense shrubs. So, and to me, the Grevillea and Lycriana is one of those. So, there's a certain density down low, and then up the top, it's quite airy. Yeah, yeah. A similar plant is Hakea Franciscana, mm. and it's really similar, isn't it? It's yep. a little coarser. It's mm. not as delicate as this, but it's got the lovely trunk. You've got that's probably two meters, mm. um, but just a fabulous plant, and yeah. those similar colouring. But the flowers are—they're mm. quite striking. Yeah, yeah. And there's something about the visual effect, the way our eyes work. When we have those see-through plants, like it really ties the background and the foreground together in the garden for Mm. us. So it it creates these little visual um, effects that it means that our garden, you know, it just feels more coherent. It feels like it's more one thing when we've got Mm. these see-through plants in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's certainly a lot to be said about creating garden rooms with dense planting, but it's all about sort of thinking about placement isn't it mm. yeah. yeah i think also yeah. a lot of gardens when when they're planted a lot of people will plant small trees or large shrubs the blobs you're talking about mm. and then 15 years down the track they go oh my god i can't grow anything under it or it just blocks the view or whatever it might be i think when you first set out to plant a garden you need to have huge restraint if you want to have flowers and you want to have a lot of different texture and color Mm, mm. and be really careful about where you plant trees Um, i've planted a garden recently or a nature strip down in summers where it's pretty much all this zero chrysum with with grasses through and a few other so that's a sticky everlasting with the yellow flower yeah, yeah rabbits don't eat it there are a squillion rabbits down there but it is tongues get stuck yeah it is very sticky but you know it is such a wonderful everlasting um and but if you have trees in there longer term you're not going to be able to grow it so you sort of have to make that decision really early about what sort of garden you want and I feel like the meadow garden, which I'm assuming you're into, oh, into Jack. Oh, I do love that. <laughs> um, you know, is all about not having too much foliage above. 
um, yeah. or very carefully placed. Yeah. And I think we, especially when we have small spaces, we can actually think about shrubs in different ways too. Like a lot of our larger shrubs, you can really lift their canopy and shape them so they look or have that appearance of a small tree as well. Yes. Mm. And also yes. using uh, lighter trees. So a lot of the smaller <coughs> gums. Oh, yes. You know, even manifera and things that, mm. you know, you know, might get to sort of 15 odd metres. Mm. Uh, they've got that really light sort of canopy and just create a bit of dappled shade and plants mm. still oh, yeah. thrive underneath it. Mm. And again, you can prune them Yeah, if you mm. want to. You yeah. can shape them up. And Leucoxalin, which is going off its head at the moment everywhere, mm. the beautiful mm. little pink flowers. Yeah. Mm. yeah, a lot of the WA ones as well. Oh, give me a mallet or a mallee yeah. any day. Yeah. Those small <laughs> eucalypts, yeah. just so florific yeah. and incredible. So And really underused in gardens, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm. 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 Yeah, there's a whole range of them. Yeah, Evan, let's get to a couple that you've brought in. Oh, well, that that was the, the, the little daisy. And I yeah. just think this should be grown way more mm-hmm. in people's mm. gardens. Yes. It's extremely drought tolerant. Um, it, uh, it flowers forever. Uh, it literally flowers, what, eight months of the year, mm-hmm. seven months of the year. Um, I think for longevity, you want to give it a good hack back uh, in the autumn. Um, and and let it let it come again, um, and and th- apart from that, there's not much to it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, and let it sprawl. Yep. Um, because it will flop down, um, and that's why you need to be careful about what you plant around it. So if you plant other things that'll emerge through it, and grasses are really good for that. But there's other things like the orthosanthus we were talking mm. about before, mm. and then it's just a case of stopping it from flopping on things. But if you let it flop around things. It's actually a really beautiful look, uh, um, and it's just that yellow, you know, that beautiful papery, um, everlasting daisy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And in actual fact, I mean, you can hear it clicking. That it's a, it's a yeah. lovely um, papery. When the sun comes out, if you stand next to one of these, you're, you're nodding. They and they click, they mm. click, they click, 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 click as they open out. Uh, so they actually they're quite you know, big chatterboxes. Yeah, beautiful. In, <laughs> very in the garden. And buttercup colour. Yeah, very yeah. Buttercup, beautiful like buttercups. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful yellow colour. So and I just think it's just a, a terrific plant. It's zero chrysum. Um, viscosum, viscosum yeah. um, sticky, everlasting, mm. and yeah. a host plant for various butterflies mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, it's always handy. Yeah, and and indigenous to Victoria, mm. so yeah. Yeah. Um, more to the west, I think. It's indigenous to um, us. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. north, north yeah. and west. Yeah. Um, so you know, it is it is local, mm. which is nice as well. Mm. So um, where where have you put that one? In... I've put it. I've put about a hundred on a nature strip. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> with what? What with? Um, I've got some um, uh, uh, some wallaby grasses, okay. some mm, yep. some poa, some kangaroo grass. Um, we've got um, down there. There's the carpobrotus, indigenous mm-hmm. carpobrotus yeah. that's sort of zooming through it. Uh, Wallenbergia. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, because that's kind of wispy and. And going through, although the rabbits enjoy that. Um, and uh, I've got, got some, well, I haven't got many in there yet, but I want to have some of the um, small grass tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the very, mm. you know, the minor, Xanthoria yeah. yeah. minor, yeah. which isn't a trunk former. That's right. But it's sort of a clumping, uh, gets up to waist so height. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. 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 It grows naturally where I, you know, in Upper Beaconsfield. 
in, in the bush around there. And when it's in flower, it mm. is yeah. stunning. So, you know, so the idea is to have about 100 of them through it as well. But I haven't got around to that yet. No, I, I'm either going to have to grow some or, or, or find some, mm. find enough. But mm. it is a stunning, yeah. stunning plant. Must be a big verge. It is actually, yeah. and it's around a corner. So, yeah, it's quite wide. But it's also, you know, you pack it in, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Jack certainly does, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I love a bit of overplanting. Why not? Yeah, why not? You can always thin it out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Editing. Yeah, editing. I think the, the art Correct. of plant placement is, is truly an art, isn't it? Mm. It's, and, and having that vision yeah. going forward of, of what it's going to become. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also being observant. You know, stopping and looking and seeing what's happening. There'd be so you know, you get a lot of volunteer mm. plants in gardens yeah, yeah. that you can you can utilise mm. if you see them coming. Mm. And mm. so it's a case of being really observant. Don't don't, don't go weeding in a frenzy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you might be pulling I, out useful 100%, things. And one of my favourite things that I always allow in my garden is. Um, Coria bellenii, um, Glabra, various mm. others. Mm. You know, they self-seed here and mm. there and I, I leave at least 90% of the self-seeded ones mm. because you know they're going to be tough. Yes. They, they've done their work and um, it's sort of that observation, what you're talking about is that, okay, it, it just wants to go there and it looks so right. And when yes. I could go through the garden and say, oh, that's self-seeded, that's self-seeded. Mm. And you go, yeah, oh, I would have thought you'd, you know, that was my brilliant plan. <laughs> <laughs> Cunning plan. But it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And, and do you have surprises as to what's happened in terms of planting? Yeah, yeah. I th- and, and it leads you. It leads you and you're directed in different ways and mm. that was lovely. In the granitic sand areas, you know, a lot of the poas have, oh, there's one over there now and yeah, there's one over yeah. there now. Yeah. And when we were sort of stripping back the... Um, the garden recently it was like you get your tradie in who's doing that and say leave that and yeah. leave that because they're just going to be coming naturally out of the granitic sand so yeah. once again i love that look having that yeah. eye you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah things itself so um flomus, oh, flomus. russelliana yeah i mean it's only just coming wow. into flower yeah. now yeah. But I had a, a, a one of my neighbours about three doors up yesterday come with his little trailer <laughs> and dig up about you know thirty of them um, because they self sow really mm. really quite readily very heavy seeds so they don't travel far but mm. um, but it's it's a great plant um, so there's a few flomus about the place that people use and um, I, I think if people want a ground cover mm. that is going to stop weeds yeah. This is probably the best plant That's going a ground around. Cover? Yeah, wow. essentially. Yeah. Um, so it's it's shooting yeah. up its flower spike, which is what I mm. have here. But it gets about thirty centimeters tall all mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Uh, has these big soft leaves, a bit like lamb's ear mm. in the you know, the lovely texture. Yeah. Um, really drought tolerant. And actually, quite shade tolerant. Mm. I know you've got it. You would have it in your garden. I'm yeah, sure. I've got Jack. a lot of different kinds of flomus. You can. Mm. We've also planted recently some flomus silver carpet, which is also another really um, dry tolerant 
um, mm. flomus, you know, different silver leaves, pink, mm. uh, you know, different yellow flowers you can get in the flomuses. It's mm. a really quite wonderful. Mm. Is that ground cover? Is that a Russelliana variety? Oh or? no, no, it's um, it's a different um, species, but it's like it's almost got like little baby uh, lambsy leaves, really oh. silver mm. in its color. Something mm. to really keep an eye out for. Mm. Yeah, silver silver carpet, a really wonderful mm. flomus that's a ground cover and even more dry tolerant as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. I, I, I mean, so I let seedlings just come up yeah. and let them do their thing for a really long time before I decide whether I'm going to pull them out or not because it just fills up the garden. Mm. If nothing else, fills up bare spaces. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I love this plant. Because, and every, every time it's in flower and people come around, it's like, oh, my mm. God, what's mm. that? Because, it, ha- you know, it's, it's like lamb's ear, the way it grows, mm. and very low, and then it throws up these one-metre-high spikes and again, they and and they flower in whorls yep. where mm. the where the leaves are attached, and they start at the bottom and they work their way up. So they flower for a really long time mm. as well. And then the the dead flowers also look really good mm. right through the winter. And then at this time of year, you can just go around, snap them off, yep. and yep. break them up by hand and throw them on the garden. The, so. the leaf junction, I think, is what's so special about it too, because mm. you sort of you're there and you've got those two beautiful leaves going up and then mm. there's this fabulous flower just yeah. intersecting that yes and i think that is it's it yeah. is a little unusual mm. and i think that grabs people's imagination mm. doesn't it mm. yeah. extremely long internodes yeah incredible yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. quite architectural and as it goes into its dormancy, like I feel like it continues to give as well, like, mm. you know, those amazing whirls and how that structure looks as it kind of goes dormant. It has that beautiful skeleton as mm. well. It just mm. looks fabulous. Mm. 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 Fantastic. Yeah, and if you literally shake the shake the flowers out around the place, that, yeah. that they'll pop up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Freebies. Mm. All right, look, people are already starting to ring in, even though we haven't given out the number. So let's go to Peter. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, good morning, everyone. You don't have to tell my radio, You have a question about wattles? Yeah, sorry, I'm just getting rid of the echo. Second. <laughs> I think the answer's going to be no. <coughs> question about transplanting wattles? Sorry, sorry, mm. you're there? Yeah, yeah, go on. Sorry. That's all right. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Good morning. Just some advice. I've I've got a bit of a big morning on this morning. I've got two bottle trees, Brachioton repentus. Is that what they call them? Brachiochoton repestris? Yeah, I've got two of those. One that's about 450 mil in diameter trunk and the other one that's about 250, 300 mil. They're both in pots. Um, I've got a friend who's going to help me move them from my parents' house in the Yarra Valley to... Mount Martha this morning and put them in those big concrete rings that I'll, that you can get um, from various places. Anyway, I've got those two, but my question is, is about the type of soil that I backfill into these rings with. Now, I'm going to dig into the ground a bit. The rings are only about 600 mil deep, so I'm going to have to go a bit deeper than that. So the, the big one that's in the pot now is in one of those fruit boxes. It's a metre square by a metre by a metre. And I, I had a nice mixture of soil in there, but I'm thinking that I'm going to have to top it up. Is like a sandy soil or more of a humus soil most appropriate for that? Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely going to go um, sandy and the drainage is going to be your best friend. Um, I'm a little concerned. What sort of diameter are the rings you're putting it in? 
Oh, they're, they're 1,850, like six foot diameter. Okay, okay. No, that's good. I, I was envisaging something smaller. But um, so there's a thing called Texas root rot. And your yep. brachychitin are really, you know, they can really get stuck with that. And it's not a good thing at all. Um, and it is going to be all about drainage. You don't want wet feet at all. The transplanting won't be a problem. Um, we transplanted them up in Queensland many years ago and uh, they came bare-rooted. Mm. Um, they're as tough as old boots as long as they end up getting that um, drainage. Mm. So, yeah, um, so we've got a fairly sandy base. Like our, the, the soil around our house is quite sandy down to about two metres, but then it hits a clay sort of subsoil, if you know yeah, what I mean. So yeah. should I try and put some scoria or something underneath the trees to sort of um, give them sort of some drainage underneath or just so they don't sit in a water bowl? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that it will drain away fairly quickly too if, if you've got two metres of sandy soil. Um, yep. I'm a little bit dubious about the scoria. I have done that before and I've ended up with Texas root rot. So okay. I yep. would steer away from that myself. Maybe yeah. build it up a little bit more and sort of mound yep. it up to the top of the yep. ring and see Absolutely. how that goes. Yeah, and and yep. you you're aware of that semi deciduous sort of habit of theirs. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't yeah, panic. Yeah, I've had them for a couple. Yeah. No, I, I had I, the first year I did. I've had them for a couple of years while we've been building. Yep. Um, and I've just been growing them on. Um, while I was getting the house ready, and today's mm. the day for the move. So oh, good on you. They're going to go for a bit of a drive down the East Link yeah. today. Yeah. So what height are they? What height are they? Uh, one's about four metres, and the <coughs> other one's about <coughs> two and a half. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, they're going to weigh yep. a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a friend with a bobcat and an excavator who's mm-hmm. going to help me sling them and lift them yep. with the pot. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try and wrap them in plastic just so that I don't get leaf burn because when I actually bought them, I bought them from a a guy that had them in the Gambi. He had a farm of them and he rode them out. But when I brought them home, they did get a fair bit of leaf burn just from the mm-hmm. wind on mm-hmm. the on the road. So yeah. I'm going to try and wrap them in like, I don't know, glad wrap or a bag or or can I can I suggest that yeah. you don't put what? them in plastic because y- if it's a sunny afternoon they'll burn worse. Um, yeah, okay. you, you're better off just putting something like um, shade cloth over them or around them, which mm. will sort of slow the wind down as you zoom along. Um, but it, it won't, rate, yeah. yeah, it won't give you the heat because you will burn them and you won't see it for a you know a month or two <laughs> and they'll all yeah, be the burnt. It's very hard as you can sort of understand, if you use sort of like a big-sized glad wrap to try and wrap a tree that size, mm. glad wrap's not that easy either. <clears throat> no, no. I mean, you can you can sort of... I, I'm assuming you're going to lay them down. Um, yeah, I am. As yep. dry. Mm. Um, so yep. you can sort of tie up their, their branches a little bit first, um, just run, run rope around them um, and tie them up or string or something like that so that they're a little bit more compact. Yep. And then and then lay them down very gently. The other thing I think you have to be careful about is how you lift them. You know, lifting them off the trunk at this time of year, the the bark could be quite soft, and yep. you might just strip it off, <laughs> which would be bad. I've seen that yeah, happen. I think the broader the sling, the better. <laughs> yeah, and slinging is definitely the way to go, and, and mm. make it yeah. nice and broad. You can also wrap some hessian around the trunk where mm. you're going to put the sling. Yeah. Yeah, I've got sort of some of that sort of. Um, like mattress foam, you know, that stuff you yeah. buy, Clark rubber. Yep. Perfect. 
Well, underlay, um, underlay like, carpet underlay is a great one actually too. Yeah, yeah, I've got some of that sort of that mm. sort of like I've got all sorts of bits and pieces. I've got lots of options. I was sort of just trying to work out <laughs> like if I had forgotten something and I thought, well, I'll touch base and just see. But I didn't know about the trunks being set, like soft at this time of year, so that's a good one. Yeah, I, I would try and lift it off the root ball personally because yep. it doesn't matter if you damage the root ball a bit, although you don't want mm. to get rot in it. No. Um, but I guess if you do damage the root ball, you're probably best to leave it out of the ground for a little while, eh? Let it dry off. Well, it, it is almost like um, the ones that we transported from you um, up to Queensland. They they were completely bare mm. and it was that dryness, like a succulent. You know, you don't break a succulent off, you let it heal over a couple of weeks and then same mm. sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've seen them being really, like, almost ruthless with them where they've, like, just about taken the whole top out of them when they've transplanted them and they've got no leaves, I, I don't particularly want to do that. Is that okay if I don't prune until I get them home? Or yeah, I think that should be. Yeah, right. yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen them where they sort of almost take them back to it, like almost like a, a stump? Yeah. Well, if you Mornington Peninsula, well. there is that crowd that has trees in the paddock there, um, and they seem they supposedly rescue them in WA out of areas that are being. Um, demolished or whatever i i saw it on instagram the other day makes me weep yeah, <laughs> those trees end up in a paddock down in um sitting in water down in tyab or somewhere yeah. like that yeah and uh and they are ruthlessly cut back but that's because they've transported them five thousand kilometers you know mm. it's, the whole thing yep. just seems a bit off to me um mm. but yeah anyway it's another story isn't it mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah well yeah, I got mine the, the actual proper way, and I've just been growing them on in pots. So I want to keep them as as you know close to the condition of what I've got them as now. Mm, like, perfect. I know with a sixty kilometre travel, that's all. Yeah, but it's not Good five thousand kilometres. So, anyway, I think you'll go okay, well. Just so. steer away from the uh, plastic, and you'll be right. Yep, I'll give that a go. Thanks, guys. Pretty Good on you, Peter. Thanks Bye. a lot. Bye for now. Thanks. All right, and let's go to Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. Um, my question isn't nearly as laborious as that poor gentleman. <laughs> well, maybe the answer um, will be. <laughs> oh, <I'm good>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was given uh, a honeysuckle alley, oh, no, I forgot, aleander, something like that. When I looked it up online for conditions and everything, everywhere seemed to pop up that it was weedy. I checked back with the nursery where it was bought and they claimed that it was given an award by the British Horticultural Society. RHS, yeah. Now I'm at a loss to know. I don't want to put it in if it's going to, you know, the berries spread by birds or whatever. Yeah. It's Haliana. um, That was the name of the variety. Um, so, so a Lanisera. So, uh, I know the Japanese variety. Lanisera Hildebrand. It's not Lanisera Hildebrandiana. No, it's Haliana, definitely with an H. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, um, the Japanese Lanisera is definitely weedy, um, and there's, um, yeah, I mean, sort of Queensland, New South Wales, and parts of Vic, uh, so that um, is a concern. Do you still have the label, Ruth? Yes, I do. Ah, do you have it in front of you by any chance? 
Um, or it'll take me. No, that's okay. Seconds. That's okay. So if it's I'll a japonica, just... so if it's Lanissa japonica, it um, is. It is okay. So so the answer to the question then, Ruth, is yes. It is um, potentially weedy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, oh, I, I think so the <laughs> the RHS um, Garden of uh, Plant of Merit awards don't really take into account weediness um, mm. in other countries. Yeah, in um, Australian conditions. In Australian yeah. conditions, yeah. yeah. So whereas it, it might not be weedy in really cold weather in England, um, it, yeah, certainly is here. Oh, gracious. Well, well I'm going to have to <laughs> break the news to my friends. Oh, well, good okay. on you for um, even considering that. Mm. No, well, I just, um, no, no, I've got quite an extensive garden and um, although we're sort of in Bentley East, it's still, no, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Okay, then, well, I'll go back to considering something else. You could consider, in place of that, you could consider the Wonga vine that has a sort of similar glossy leaves and really um, floriferous um, so there's the the Pandaria pandorana or even mm. the um, Pandaria jasminoides. Mm. Uh, both of those I would... I wanted something with perfume, mm. if possible. Mm. Um, and yeah. I've got varieties of... Um, oh, goodness, it's gone out of my head. Mm. The native the jasmine ha- has yeah. a beautiful, beautiful scent. So jasminum yeah. suavissimum mm-hmm. um, that has got little white and pink star flowers and it's beautifully scented. So that mm-hmm. it, it won't get as high as the honeysuckle, but it's depending on how high you want it to get, you can mm-hmm. certainly oh, train it. I've, I've, certainly, I've got a very strong frame, so yeah. um, that's not a problem. There's and also Hilda, Hilda Brandiana is just stunning too mm. and a beautiful perfume and the flower is so spidery and delicate. Would that be weedy as well? No. Is that, is that's not a japonica? don't know if it's japonica, but it's, it's certainly, I don't think it's weedy. Okay. I've, mm. never, I've never seen it spread anywhere and that was even Alita had it in Warburton and uh, it just stays put. So that's another honeysuckle, so perhaps mm. you could just swap the plant mm. with the nursery. Right. Mm. Yeah. So what was that? Um, what was the first one you mentioned? The first one was the Wonga vine. No, not sorry. Oh, just be- the jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a native jasmine. Okay. Yep. And then this um, Hildebrandiana. This- so it's Lanissera. Lanissera. Yeah. Hildebrandiana. It's phonetic. All oh, right, Hildebrandiana. Yeah, with an H. Yep. Yep. Mm. Okay, mm. well, I'll go searching. <laughs> Good on you. Thank you Good. so much. Good on you, Ruth. Bye. Th- thanks. Bye. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, and um, Michael has texted in to ask, um, is it the right time to plant alliums, garlic, onions, etc.? Um, and I'm going to say, apart from spring onions, no. You sort of missed the boat a little bit there, even for... Normal onions, really, probably a month out. Everyone, everyone's mm. nodding in agreement. Yeah. So yeah. no, Michael, wait till next year. Yeah, or, la- or later. Mm. Yeah. 
Okie dokie. Well, I am going to get to some community announcements because um, we do have a very full show. I think we can go either have to talk double time or uh, <laughs> or have an extra hour, I think. Okay, so a, I'm going to whiz through some community announcements. So um, today there's the Mount Macedon Garden Lovers Fair from 10 till 4. <coughs> array of stalls and speakers and you can also visit nearby Bolabek which is a working farm um, heritage listed beautiful gardens $16.50 you can get tickets online or at the gate so that's the Garden Lovers Fair in Mount Macedon next weekend so the 14th and 15th there's the Lardner Park Garden and Home Expo and for anyone who is wondering like me Lardner is near Warrigal um, so that's the Lardner Park Garden and Home Expo, 21st of October to the 7th of November, the Country Farm Perennials and Seedscape Open Garden Fortnight, and you can hop online uh, for that at Country Farm Perennials and Seedscape. 21st and 22nd of October is the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne Plant Sale. Jack's excited about that. Better get in before she does, or there'll be no plants left. <laughs> I also think that that's the same weekend as the Cranbourne Botanic Friends Sale too. Okay, because so, oh. I don't have that one. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens has their plant sale on at the same on the same weekend. Both of them, is, and I have to say, Cranbourne, like the array of native plants that you can get, just incredible. Crazy. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, the 28th and 29th of October, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society Flower Festival and also the 28th and 29th, the Alexandra Open Gardens. And November the 11th and 12th is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. Back to October. So um, friends of, this is Saturday the 28th of October, friends of Burnley Gardens have got their plant sale, a selection of plants including natives, indoor plants, perennials, bulbs, salvias, succulents and more. Please bring your own bags. This is at the Burnley campus between the main building and the student, um, student amenities building. Just follow the signs. And there's also tours on the same day. And also the Country Women's Association will have a pop-up stall selling a selection of cakes and their famous scones, cream and jam. Uh, so that sounds wonderful. Um, Mycelium Futures has, um, is putting on Mush Fest October 14th and 15th. This is at Kensington Community Garden. There are free and ticketed workshops. You can... It's all about um, mushrooms, of course. You can explore fungi under the microscope, learn how to brew kombucha, learn how to garden with King Strophoria mushrooms. So you can go to myceliumfutures.com.au to find out more about that. The, on Friday the 13th of October, the Royal Talbot Sensory Garden Tour and this is a garden which is designed and managed by Stephen Wells and he will be leading the tour. So you'll get um, an insider's view to how it's been created and management and that sort of thing. Um, it's at 1 Yarra Boulevard in Kew. It's $55 for members, $75 for non-members. A percentage of the sales goes towards supporting the gardens and their website is tha.org.au. 
the Friends of Ballarat Botanical Gardens have got Wilding Your Garden on Saturday the 14th of October from 10.30 till 1.30 at the Robert Clark Centre. You can go to fbbg.org.au. Want to bring bees, butterflies and other wildlife into your garden? That's a rhetorical question because, yes, you do. Um, Get ideas and advice from local Ballarat groups and their friend's nursery. Buy a plant and make a bug hotel. Visit the farmer's market and the craft cottage while you're there. The Gatekeeper's Cottage will be open for the Wardian Case Exhibition. How were plants moved around the world in the 1800s? I thought that was fascinating. Never really Mm. even thought about it. But, Mm. um, yeah, it would be quite incredible to see that. Sounds exhausting. There is a lot to do. There's a lot to do, especially (laughs) next weekend. And and that's not even us in our gardens. That's right. (laughs) Visit artist in residence Gina Gould Harwick painting uh, intricate plants and insects. There's plant sales and advice, wide range of perennials, shrubs and ground covers. The Ballarat BirdLife folk will be there. The Field Naturalists Club of Ballarat will be there. Ballarat Dark Sky Community will be there, which sounds like they might be inviting members of the CIA, but (coughs) maybe they're just looking up at the sky. Um, Ballarat Regional Beekeepers will be there. Gardens for Wildlife Ballarat will be there and the Australian Plant Society. So that's the Friends of Ballarat Botanical Gardens Wilding Your Garden next Saturday. Now, um, the Open Gardens Victoria, so I've got four open gardens here and each open garden has a double pass, a free double pass from Open Gardens, so thank you very much to them. All of these four gardens are on Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of October, so that's next weekend, and all gardens are open from 10am till 4.30pm All gardens are $10 for adults, $6 for students and under 18 free. You can book and pay online or you can pay on the day. And the website is opengardensvictoria.org.au. So first of all, we have um, Point Lonsdale Garden, which is at 20 Winterley Road, Point Lonsdale. Marg and Warwick Hutchins Garden invites the visitor on a journey through several designated garden rooms, each with its own mood and atmosphere. This most recent design was undertaken by the owners in Eckersley Garden Architecture in 2018. <clears throat> Previously, the garden was owned by an avid plant collector and there were numerous unusual spe- spe- species. From the street, the garden is sympathetic to its coastal environment using a mixture of mooners and tea tree. The coastal feel of the front garden sets up a wonderful surprise for visitors as they round into the lawn area, which has various spaces densely layered with a wonderful variety of natives and exotics. Also down at Point Lonsdale is Pablo's Bloom, Six Wirilda Way. Designed by Alex Cherry from Ocean Road Landscaping, this 160-metre square garden is a must-see to explore what can be done when you have less room to play with. Be captivated by the organic forms and rambling pathways with a tapestry of native and local plants, contributing to the garden's unique texture, colour and form in a symphony of green, silver and gold. Peter Shaw will conduct a talk, Making Good Use of Your Small Space, at 11am on Saturday. And Alex Cherry and the builder, Tommy Madolo will also be there on the Saturday at the same time. Then we have two gardens um, 
sort of also in the same uh, area. There's a Hurstbridge garden, uh, which is called Treetops at 135 Wattle Tree Road in Hurstbridge. Treetops is a young garden with several areas of specialised plantings. The driveway is lined with ornamental pears and agapanthus, leading to a gravel area with a fire pit surrounded by low grevilleas and society garlic. The back of the house is dedicated to salvias and sedums, a shaded area with azaleas and my pines and an embankment of wattles. There are box gums, Japanese maples, weeping cherries, red hot pokers and cannas. The garden is an ongoing development. Um, and I actually should read out the um, phone number in case anybody wants to ring up for a double pass. The number is 94190155. And the last garden is Big Hill and mm -hmm. 899 Skyline Road in Christmas Hills. Big Hill is an exquisite native garden created by its owner, landscape designer and builder Loretta Childs that is an absolute masterclass of design and plant selection. There are numerous areas that are explored via granitic sand paths and timber boardwalks. Judiciously placed shrubs, ground covers, climbers and trees define spaces or reveal spectacular Yarra Valley views. Basalt boulders add a lovely naturalistic feel while recycled timber and iron elements help tie the garden visually to the numerous gorgeous buildings. A unique spiral staircase providing a focal point in the front garden is accessed via a hidden path Sounds of water lure explorers past the staircase to a serene pond enclosed with she-oak. The naturalistic swimming pool built from rock and wharf timber is edged with wistringa and a grouping of brachychitin will over time become an architectural feature. Loretta, I Who's know... Whose garden is that? Who's ga whose garden <laughs> is Sounds that? fabulous. I'm getting there. She <laughs> has been going like a crazy woman, weeding, tidying, and you've yeah. also developed a new area. I have. Um, I thought, I, I mean, this started in COVID. Have we heard the COVID story before? <laughs> We've all heard. No. <laughs> Lots of people doing things. Yeah. And uh, there was a dam and uh, the dam was too high. It was never going to fill. Didn't fill in, you know, 20 years. So it wasn't going to fill. Um, and it was a bit of a mess. So I filled the dam in with the excavator about three years ago um, to create a terraced area. And it sort of sat there then, and it sat there and sat there. I also started putting bluestone, um, certainly not pitches, massive um, railway sleepers, um, uh, bluestone, and so big stairs going all the way down from quite a height, looking over the Yarra Valley out towards Hillsville. And uh, anyway, I sort of, I've just quickly. <laughs> I can't um, believe week, how quickly you did it. A week and a half ago, um, I said, okay, Rick, my wonderful excavator driver, I said, um, I'm not in the excavator, you are, and off he went with the big machine, which was great. So we went from there and uh, we spent three days and did it, and it's all done now. But when I say all done, what I'm emphasising is this is mid-construction. Mm. And at the end of the day, apart from the fact I couldn't possibly get it completed, um, as in planting, and I am also considering all the soils in, we're about to do the granitic sand this week, but I'm going to leave it and not plant it until autumn. Mm. Yeah, why, why would I give myself the stress of oh, yeah. probably losing, 
you know, three or $4,000 worth of plants. Mm. Um, so it's going to be left. And people can come and see. It's very safe. You can wander around. Mm. And I love seeing those moments in a garden when you visit an open garden where you can see uh, you know, really established plantings, but then projects and dreams to come. Mm, it it yes. gives you a sense of a real garden. Yeah. I think all our gardens in progress. So yeah. that looks amazing to be able to come yeah. and see that. I think it'll be it'll be pretty fun to sort of go and imagine um, if anyone ever comes back at another time, <laughs> yeah. they'll they'll actually see it in a couple of years um, down the track. So mm. that should be pretty fun. Mm. Are you planting into granitic sand, or is 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 that pathways? That's um that's a terrace which will just be. I had I. I had visualised a beautiful native lawn, but we're not going down there today. It'll be just, <laughs> um, it'll just be that, uh, an open terrace, which I've already invited our dear friends to play balls. So it's the ball mm. court now. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. So, yeah. So a lot of work. Um, the granitic sand, I've been sweating, came yesterday. <clears throat> I've been, been put off for two weeks and really <laughs> freaking out about that, but it's arrived... Unfortunately, I mean, I will talk construction all, all day, as AB knows, but this is uh, just the little things that happened. That arrived yesterday and it, it was delayed because of the rain. Mm. Um, so what we know is if you're going, I had a, a truck and dog, they came in, delivered it, and I'm looking at it going, wow, there's not much there. And you know why there's not much there? Because it's all, got, it's all weight <laughs> and you've got all those sort of things to consider. So I haven't got quite as much as I wanted, but thank God I got the uh, truck and dog. Mm. Beautiful. And obviously mm. a lot of work bringing a garden up to scratch for an open garden. Yeah, yeah it's, yep. it's just, you know, months and months of work. Mm. And uh, I think preparation, even looking at the veg- vegetable garden, which is central, going back months, getting that in the middle of winter, thinking what can I have that's going to be up and going? And it's been touch and go because we've had some cold snaps as well. Mm. So a lot of stuff didn't come up, which I did via seed. Um, but at this stage, it's not looking too bad. I have left the broccolini. Um, you'll see there's this sort of old broccolini plants <laughs> because they're a bit flowery and they're yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, the yeah, end lovely. of it. And yeah. I thought, ah, I'll mm. leave that. So. Mm. Mm. I yeah. like leaving things in the veggie garden. Yeah. Uh, last year I let the celery just go crazy mm. and this year i've just got this massive amount of celery mm. yeah you know if you let veggies go yes. like being a lazy gardener is not always a bad thing oh absolutely yeah no. you let veggies go and they come everywhere lettuce is the mm. same if mm. you just let them go to seed yeah uh, silver beet yeah just grab the old heads and lay them on a garden bed mm. and then the next year that garden bed will be full yeah. And you haven't done a darn thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and some of those flowers, they're just so beautiful, like all that beautiful pale blue chicory flowers, mm. like they just look amazing. And any mm. of those umbels of like dill and coriander, mm. like yeah. so good for all those beneficial insects as well. So have some of that in the garden. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to have on display also over the last 20 years, I, uh, I did on that pouring rainy day. On Tuesday, I got to Officeworks and I've done a really good array of the 20 years of construction. Oh, of the that's, that's great. That's so a great story. That's from cool. the ponds, ponds in construction before, during, after um, the ponds being uh, concrete, black um, dyed concrete slabs. Um, so, yeah, that should be on display as well as a bit of tea and coffee. Beautiful. The old biscuit. Um <laughs> And I'll be there. There'll be other people there like um, AB. 
across there. there. She'll yep. be there and there'll be lovely books for sale, which mm. will be even better. And, uh, yeah, so it should be good. Mm. And beautiful views. Yeah, the yeah. views are... they're coming for the views as well. It is. And with the terrace, um, you get glimpses of views because it's called Big Hill because that range overlooking the Yarra Valley is the... We're on the peak. and uh, But it is very... It's, it's not that windy, really, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, I think you'll get good views. The terrace will really give you the best views of the whole valley. But um, mm. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. We'll yeah. look forward to it. Thank you. This mm. is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm in the studio with Jack Semler, Evan Golke and Loretta Childs. Jack, we are going to talk about you. You, are, um, you have a creative plant practice you which is called super bloom you also have a book called super bloom which came out in 2018 uh, last year oh no, no yes last year That's yeah, yeah and then all of a sudden i see popping up on instagram you have another book coming out yes i do i have the super bloom handbook that's coming out with thames and hudson at the end of this month on the 31st of october mm-hmm. um working again with a beautiful i've got this beautiful working relationship with sarah panel who's this incredible photographer she does a lot of documentary and travel photography and i lo- really love the way that she can capture you know, luminous garden photos that really show like that beautiful feeling of that garden and feeling of those flowers as well. So mm-hmm. we're bringing out another little book. It's a perfect, like if you love super bloom, it's the perfect kind of little gift super bloom that you can give to friends and family. I like to think of it because for me, I, I always want everybody, I think we're all the same in the room, like we all want everybody to get so much pleasure from gardening and to start gardening and so this is a perfect little guide for the beginner gardener in your life to really get them going on that garden journey and to really embrace the beauty and possibilities in a garden as well and get them started with a bit of wonder so it's a perfect little beginner's guide Mm. and we've looked at different plants so really easy to grow things to get you started things that are really great that give you maximum flowers if you're on a bit of a budget which I feel like we all are at the moment Um, but also flowers that are really resilient for you know the kind of pressures that we have in a dry summer climate and other bits and pieces to really get you going with your flowers I really believe that we can all get maximum flowers in our garden from a minimum amount of effort Mm -hmm. even though we we love being in our gardens as well so it's very exciting to have this little book baby out and about at the end of the month it's always exciting to have a book out and I have to say super bloom what like you brought that into and that is a heavy book and you guys were talking about how um it's worth it the great. price is worth it for wait, the, wait for your for buck. Wait, wait for yeah, your buck. Great yeah, great value by the it's, kilo. <laughs> exactly. It's um, such a heavy, informative, beautiful book, but this smaller handbook is also just as beautiful. Yeah, and it's been an amazing year. Like it was so special as an Australian gardener to have the big super bloom released internationally this year. Yep. So I feel like Australian gardeners, all of us, we have so much to offer to that international conversation of gardening. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite the year and then really wonderful to know that this little accessible guide, this little distillment of super bloom is going to be out in the world too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mention, I, I really think it's important having glanced at this book. I didn't want to glance, I want to really get into it, but um, the layout. And I think it's really worth mentioning because you've sort, we're talking about just this little book, and but the layout of 
what you say there. I mm. think that's really important because it gives that gardener immediately that accessibility and see your titles, your headings, which way they go. Yes. So for each of the profiles, we want to make this really easy for people to get into the garden. And so each profile's got this amazing little layout of why, what, when, where, how, you know, the different flower friends that you can grow with these particular flowers. So it's this really easy little profile, this snapshot of these flowers that we can have in our gardens. And it's also included some things that we've mentioned today, like those amazing, I just obsessed by everlasting daisies and those straw flowers and the amazing texture that they have and so we've included things like that as well it's a beautiful layout so you've got a big photo of the plant and then the um, useful information next to it so do you talk in the book about growing from seed yes we cover growing from seeds and growing from cuttings because i think as soon as you can kind of get that art of growing something from seeds, suddenly your whole plant world opens up. Like as soon as you can grow stuff from seeds successfully, you can grow like there's so many different varieties, things to try and test. So growing from seed, but also some of those basic techniques on how to extend the flowering season, also how to, you know, um, different things to consider when you're getting started and different information so it's got plenty in there beautiful and so that comes out at the end of october so october october 31 james and hudson and how much is that selling for it's selling for Mm 34.95 and pre-order pre-order is available so you can order it online so that as soon as that date turns around you can get it in your post yeah beautiful and it's such a beautiful it's a hardcover and it's bright bright red it's a gorgeous book and i what i love about it is like sometimes when you're considering plants for the garden it's so overwhelming what do you put in mm. but you've pretty much distilled it down put uh, these in absolutely and also i think something that's powerful about both super bloom books is well, what else you can plant with them? So we've got flower friends, we've got planting partners. So all these different ideas, some ex- bit experimental, but some really wonderful combinations mm. of flowers to put together. So it's like a cookbook. Yes, absolutely. it's like the cook's yep. companion for mm. flowers. Yeah, it is, absolutely. Do we call it, um, a, um, a stocking stuffer? A stocking stuffer. Yes. Oh, I love yes, that, Loretta. Yes. Please, please uh, stuff my stocking. Well, it's red. <laughs> red too. It's red. I yeah, mean, very I'm festive. Extremely. Was that planned? I mean, Thames and Hudson are pretty good, aren't they? No, it wasn't <laughs> planned. Like, they are good, but um, it's amazing how all of those things kind of light up. Yeah, mm. they just yeah. need me on board. I can do yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. you need to not join my myself. Publicity. No, myself. <laughs> not for yourself. So did you have to make changes to Superbloom? to send it overseas? So we had to keep some information. We just need to really think about, instead of giving really detailed information, we need to kind of give people guidelines on when to plant certain things. Mm. So being aware of the different hemispheres and then also to keep a kind of mind to what most gardeners will be able to get their hands on as well Mm. Um, but also to really showcase some beautiful things that we do have in Australia that we're really proud of as well like kangaroo paws like Mm. what an incredible plant Mm. all those paper daisies that we've mentioned the native bluebell like there's so many incredible plants that we have in Australia that really belong in gardens elsewhere as well Mm. so Mm. it was wonderful to share some Australian delights for an international market too Mm. oh well Mm. done and Mm. I'm 
sure it'll go gangbusters. Thanks so I, I was, much. I was in a cafe in um, Copenhagen once and there was a whole trolley full of drumsticks. Oh, beautiful. You, know, yeah. <laughs> you think, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that doing here? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they love them. Yeah, mm. and I and, saw, I was at an international conference recently and they had these amazing plantings with Thai lotus in there and I was like, go, go Thai lotus. Yeah. <laughs> doing it for us. Yeah, yeah. 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 Don't, please don't be weedy. <laughs> Please don't take over the world. All right, guys. um, Look, we're all gardeners and many of us love the benefits of composting and uh, one of those benefits being able to reduce our impact on landfill. And Aussies throw out 7.3 million tonnes of food and scraps every year, which is about 300 kilograms per person, which is a bit insane. Uh, On the line with us now is someone who is so passionate about reducing this waste that she invented a tool for the home gardeners, which she describes as a personal trainer for compost. Ashley Baxter is the founder of Queensland-based Monty Compost Company. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really sorry that I forgot to mention that we had already moved to daylight savings. Don't worry, I'm sorry for making you nervous. Did you wake up and uh, freak out when you saw my message? I wouldn't say I freaked out, but I'm like, okay, I'm glad I'm an early bird because that could have been bad. Yes, yes. Hey, now, Ashley, thank you so much for chatting with us. Now, you don't have a background in horticulture, but you had joined an eco group in year eight and you had a really strong interest in sustainability from a young age. And then you were studying business in IT um, how did it come about that um, you got into composting and then even creating and inventing this amazing tool for compost? Yeah, it is a bit of a weird uh, kind of backstory, isn't it? Um, but yeah, like you said, so even though I was really passionate about sustainability, you know, when I started finding out about it at school, I never really kind of heard anything in the movement about composting or gardening or the amazing benefits they have. Um, like, you know, I grew up in the city, in my backyard, we didn't do anything. It was barely, you know, kind of a, a few metres squared. But yeah, when I found out about compost, I just kind of came across it in university and I was like, this is incredible. This is a really practical, fun, engaging solution to so many problems not just organic waste, like you said, but also restoring our food systems, our soil, stopping pollution, just so many things. And I think I just got really obsessed with it. Um, But I also found a lot of problems when I was researching it in terms of, you know, why we don't all do it. If it's such a great solution, why doesn't everyone compost? Why did I have so much um, heavy challenges learning about it? So I kind of just came to the conclusion of like, look, we need more tools, more solutions to get everyone on board. And yeah, that's how I came up with Monty. Absolutely. And now I will explain it to listeners. So it's a, a a gadget that's approximately 30 centimetres long and you push it into your compost and you leave it in there um, all the time, 24-7, and it tracks data that very cleverly sends the data to your phone. And um, if there's something wrong with the compost, um, it tells you what to do about it. Um, it's wireless recharging and um, the data tract includes temperature, air moisture and smelly gases. So why did you come up with those three things to track? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure some people are thinking, and like, there's always an app for something, and now there's one for compost. Um, <laughs> but the reason we came up with those ones is because, well, basically, those are three really important data points that for successful composting, you need to know about those things. Um, or not necessarily you need to know, but you need to know what the consequences of those, those data points are. So when I was kind of looking into the problems people face, a lot of it is confusion, a lack of confidence that you're going to compost right or do it well, you know, getting things like rats and pests, smells. Um, and I just found that when you have those extra data points and when you get uh, meaningful insights from them, it makes people just a lot better at doing it, at forming good habits, and you just end up with better compost. And what I liked about it is it not only tells you um, what temperature, air motion and gases are coming off it, but then it also tells you if um, there's a problem and what to do about it. Yeah, so those um, kind of data points, you know, they're correlated with different kind of meanings that your compost, you know, the basic one is that most people know is temperature. It can be too hot. It can also be too cold. Um, and by tracking that, like you said, 24-7, we're able to, you know, kind of tell you, look, the compost is doing this. That means that this might be the problem and here's how you can fix it. Yeah, very, very powerful. And what um, what I love is that you um, had this idea, like the, you saw a problem, you thought, what can I do to fix it? And then you actually invented something to as a solution. And um, But after chatting with you recently, I, I know that your mum wasn't too impressed with the whole <laughs> testing procedure. Look, I'll say that my mum was that has been and continues to be so supportive <laughs> and I love her so much for it. But yes, um, when for the first few years and I was still living at home despite being out of university for a long time um, because I was, you know, a broke startup founder, um, we had to test the prototypes and obviously, you know, compost can be quite a extreme environment. You've got smells, you've got like water, um, so... To test our device, I actually put it in a pressure cooker full of, like, rotting onions. I'm like, this is going to be the best way to just put it through its paces. And my mom comes back and just kind of, like, not freaks out, but I had a bit of explaining to do. That sounds really good. And um, who, what sort of people d does the um, device suit, do you think? Um, so I think it adds... Obviously, any composter can get into it, but I think it adds the most benefit to probably two kinds of composters. First one are kind of newbies or at least people who've, you know, struggled with getting into a habit of good composting. They're always facing problems with it. It's always smelling. It's always coming out poor quality or it's not coming out at all. There's a lot of people who, you know, just kind of continuously add their compost and they never really get a finished product. Um, so by having this, this tool to help them, um, I think that we've well we've found and seen that this really delivers a lot of value to those people. Um, and then the second one is just nerds like me who love data and love looking at their compost and getting more engaged and learning everything about it. Um, we have some amazing users who literally check in on the app every single day. First thing in the morning, there's this one guy who we, see, we get a little ping and we see... 
he's come online at like 6.30 and connected to his compost. And I think that is just so like inspiring that there are people out there who are just as passionate about it because, you know, like you said, it's just such a great solution. For sure. And um, so it suits sort of any type of compost? Yeah, works in any type of compost, whether it's a bin or a worm farm or a tumbler or a big open pile. Um, I will just say with the tumbler, though, it's not going to get hurt if you tumble with it in, <laughs> but it, it, it'll get really dirty. And when you do have to take it out eventually, um, you're going to have to dig through a lot of compost, and I learned that the hard way. And, and so you don't um, – so you can leave it in the compost full time and it's it's going to be fine? Like doesn't matter if it rains, obviously, or baking sun? Yeah, so it is incredibly durable. Like I said before, compost can be a pretty intense environment. So we had to go through so many rounds of prototyping to get to, to the design today that works. Um, one of our first kind of – prototypes that we're like okay cool we can release a few of these we can get them in some real world compost and just like so many of them failed within like a week and it was just devastating because you know I always use the analogy like imagine if you put your phone in the compost it's you know the same kind of electronics it's very like it can definitely um it can definitely get a corroded away from that and um, what it got like intensely invaded by ants so, so we've fortunately managed to get it, like I said, to a point where it can survive water, it can survive you know, really toxic gases. It's a very durable little guy. And, and in terms of, like, I know that you've had an interest in sustainability and um, that sort of thing from a young age. Um, how does sort of composting fit into that in terms of being able to uh, help the environment? So one of my, on that point, one of my favourite stats is that for every kilogram of organic waste, that's food scraps, but it's also, you know, soiled cardboard or tissues or sewerage or agricultural waste. For every kilogram of that that you compost instead of sending to landfill, that's a kilogram and a half of carbon offset. So when organic waste goes to landfill, it releases its weight in greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and when you actually add it to the soil, instead of letting it rot in landfill, it actually increases the carbon carrying capacity of that soil. Now, not a lot of people know this, but I think it's a, a really inspiring fact for gardeners that our soil actually contains four times more carbon than the atmosphere. So it's this incredible solution to, you know, fighting the problems that we're facing. Um, and then, you know, we did some kind of calculations at our work and we found that if we're recycling all of our global organic waste back into the soil and, you know, gaining all those benefits, the offset and then the carbon sequestration as well. And again, this isn't just through composting. There are a lot of ways to manage organic waste, but obviously my favourite is composting. <laughs> But if we did all that, it could cut up to 15% of global emissions, you know. And I think to me, why I got so inspired by it was in the climate movement, you hear a lot about, you know, electric cars and those sort of things. But car transportation is 1% of global emissions. We have this solution that's literally at our back door for many gardeners who are listening. 
that's got so much potential to make just as much impact, if not more. So, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's very inspiring. And, you know, our mission is everyone is recycling their organic waste in some shape or form. Hopefully it's composting in your backyard, but even just taking it down to the local community garden can be enough. Yeah, I mean, really a, a relatively easy way that uh, gardeners can contribute. So simple. And it also adds benefit to your garden. You know, I think an, an interesting point is everyone's feeling the, the cost of living right now. And especially for gardeners, um, it's not a huge expense, but sometimes fertilizers, um, herbicides, pesticides, all those things can start to add up. Um, if you've got a successful compost going, you really reduce the volume of those things that you need. Um, there was a really interesting study I read that when you boost your soil health enough, you can actually remove the need to have herbicides or pesticides because your plant's natural immune system can get rid of them. Um, so there's a lot going on in there, but gardeners truly just have so much to benefit from good composting. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of people hearing um, hearing this, who, who, who know that? Mm. Mm. Um, I was going to say, uh, talking environmentally, um, ecologically, all of those things, a wonderful sort of thought that you, you have there because I always, we talk about the uh, Amazon being the lungs of the earth. Well, I think every single person out there has got to take on board that every tiny little backyard, every square foot mm. of a garden is your own mini lung. Mm. And those lungs are what makes the greater good and that's what we should all be focusing on. So coming from what you're saying, a little bit more information um, for everyone to really get and understand how important uh, composting is. Uh, you know, the lack of landfill. No, we don't have a lack of landfill, unfortunately, but let's just concentrate on every backyard being the lungs of the earth. Mm. Mm. And I really That's love... Exactly. Yeah. You go. Sorry. Oh, good. And I really love that idea. And I think that's so true. Like if we feed soil, we don't need to feed plants. Like if mm. we're bringing more of that organic matter, more of that compost into our gardens, you're right. You really need to think about how we can feed that soil and get that soil happening rather than just putting a whole lot of additives like a whole lot of fertilizer um, into the plants. Mm. Oh, well, we that's sort of know that th this is where um, there's the big bee out there. You know, you know the big B store, <laughs> that one? Well, you know, why are we giving them more money? For goodness sakes, we can, you know, help the planet and not feed the multinationals. Mm. Exactly. I always love to say that, um, the, like, rainforests, again, bring it to that. Rainforests don't need Roundup. There's a reason why. It's because when plants are healthy and when they have healthy soil to draw from, they don't need all these extra additives, um, and so, yeah, it can really, compost does that and it can be so beneficial to people's gardens. And Ashley, so just getting back to um, the actual tool itself and how it measures sort of the gases and moisture and, and those sorts of things. Um, and coming into summer, I guess one of the um, interesting things is keeping an eye on how dry compost is going to become. I love that, that you asked me this because it's one of my, like, favourite, most interesting compost facts. It is so critical, especially if you have an open pile or just exposed compost, as in it's not in an enclosed bin or a tumbler. Um, it is so critical coming into summer that you stay on top of the temperature and the moisture. 
Um, and that is because compost can spontaneously combust. It is basically a fire starter right in your backyard. Um, now, that's a very common thing for industrial, large-scale composting, on-farm composting. But especially with recent temperatures, we're seeing more domestic compost spontaneous combustion. There was a case in London just last year where um, someone opened pile, just caught fire, um, destroyed their house, destroyed, like, all the residents had to be evacuated, took 100 firefighters to put it out, and it all started from compost pile. <laughs> so it's really important that as we move into those hotter months, if you're one of those people with those sorts of piles, um, yeah, just just make sure that it's, that it's staying wet and it's not getting too hot. So I guess you don't really know that it's too hot. I mean, if you didn't have th- that little measuring tool or any sort of um, thermometer that you use, you don't necessarily know that it's getting really hot until it's too late. Yeah, because even if you um, even if you kind of water it down and you're tracking, like you're just feeling it on the surface, you can have pockets inside the pile of really dry. Um, kind of material, biomass materials um, and, you know, if your pile is getting quite large, um, that one in London was uh, less than a metre cubed, it can start to, you know, really add up if you're only feeling the surface. Um, So that is one of the major benefits of having a tool like Monty that is tracking your temperatures 24-7. You can access that and you can really see, oh, wow, yesterday my compost pile was up to 60 degrees. I got to add a lot more water and I got to maybe, you know, put a tarp on it, move it out of the sun, do something like that to actively manage it. Um, so, yeah, I'm so happy you asked about that because it's something that's, I feel like it's so important that people know that, especially if they have a big compost pile. Yeah, because. Yeah, this summer. I think sometimes you sort of, when there's troubleshooting involved, often it involves really sort of wet and smelly type compost, whereas we don't necessarily think that it could be a problem if it becomes dry. That's exactly it. So compost, compost is very forgiving when it comes to moisture, thankfully. Um, but you can, you want to aim towards it being forty to sixty percent moisture. Um, so all the, so it is actually really important if it comes too dry, because basically all the microbes that do the composting for you, they live in the little film of water that's around all your, you know, organic materials. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that left, that like kind of film of water because it's getting too dry, your decomposition is just going to slow down to nothing. Um, and then, yes, like you said, on the other side, if you have too much water, that's also bad because the microbes that do the decomposition, the good ones, they also need oxygen to survive. And if you're if there's too much moisture, they won't it won't be able to diffuse through, and they won't be able to to access it. So, moisture is important. Temperature is important. There's so many things about your compost that. If you're not an expert, might be intuitive to you. But if not, if you're kind of new to it and you don't know all these things, you can be wondering, oh, my gosh, why is it smelling? What is going on? Well, I think um, I would just have to call you a compost nerd. <laughs> but um, very good for us. Hey, look, Ashley, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. And um, yeah, I I've seen the the tool, and I think it's even beautiful to look at. So um, how available are they? Yeah, they're they're o- online. Is that yep. right, Ash? 
they are available. Um, they're a great gift with Christmas coming Stuffing. up. Yeah, his- Stocking. Stocking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I know a few people who've gotten it as a gift and apparently they were like, um, what have I got? And then they've ended up loving it so much. So, yes, it's fully available online to all Australians, made here in Australia, um, and it really is like you said, a great tool for some of those users who just want to learn more about their composting. Um, Yeah. And what's the name of the website? It is montycompost.co or you can just Google Monty Compost. Very easy to find. Yeah, beautiful. Hey, Ash, thank you so much for your time and for, for, um, yeah, just speaking with us so long and being so passionate about compost. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Any opportunity to talk about compost, I will jump on. <laughs> Beautiful. I really do love it so much and it really is our mission to, to get everyone really engaged with it. Beautiful. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Ashley. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Ashley Baxter from the Monty Compost Company talking about compost, which I guess um, – is an important topic in terms of our El Nino that's coming up. Um, well, we're sort of moving into it, aren't we? Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. So, Jack, are you a composter? Yeah, I'm a big composter. I do love it. Like, we've got a very simple system at home because we're, we're uh, time poor. Um, and so we've got a chookyard and then a compost bay. So everything kind of ends up into the chookyard first. They sort through it. And then we've got a compost pile that my um, partner, Matt, he looks after all the composting at home and and he just um, manages anything else that the chooks don't, don't like. It's into the compost bay. But, but compost is so important. Even we're at a point where we don't, can't even get enough Oh, we can't even make enough of what we use. And so often, like especially with my perennial garden, we actually mulch it twice a year with compost. We, we get a big bulk delivery of it um, from Biogrow and it's amazing that you can use it as a mulch. We don't have to fertilise that perennial garden bed in any way. It just mm. just keeping that soil healthy and everything vibrant. Mm. I'm amazed that you uh, can put it on because your plants are so tightly sand <laughs> What do you do? Just throw it over the top of them? <laughs> well, you, you, it's all about timing, I think, when it comes to garden care. And so, you know, autumn and winter, when a lot of those perennials are in their dormancy, that is the little perfect point where you can kind of creep around in your garden and fill up those little vacant spaces and I suppose feeding the soil that's why we don't you know it gets into summer and you can't see anything because everything's so happy and it also really helps hold the water in the soil and and I think like we will have all seen I think we've already broken a record for temperatures in September Mm. in Australia um, after breaking a record in August after breaking a record in Mm. July like I think it's really wonderful to start thinking about how we make our gardens more summer dry resilient and be really proactive about the changing climate and what we can do in our gardens I know that I've seen things happen in my own garden well above you know well in advance of the season already some perennials and other plants that are already moving and um, and I'm sure everybody else has tips and tricks on how they prepare their gardens for a long hot summer coming. Mm. And talking about um, compost going on to mulch, and I'm just putting in a really fabulous mulch from the local um, waste transfer. 
and uh, I am so thrilled. Mm. You saw it the other week, mm. I think, AB, and I um, I just got another 15 metres. Um, to, we might have enough. <laughs> but uh, it's a real... I ended up going for a very fine mulch, and the mulch is so humus-rich. Mm. Uh, it is very fine. It's, it's still open enough to let water in mm. and maintain the moisture but what I know is going to happen is it's going to feed the soil it's going to help the profile of the soil and all in all yes you can say well I'll have to reapply sooner in a couple of years but hey for the benefits of that Mm. mulching composty sort of mulch Mm. I think it's really worth it and we've got to look out for the summer that's why Mm. I'm not planting that terrace Mm. Mm. it just takes time Mm. gardening is about patience and to improve the soil, it takes years. Mm. It's not a quick fix, but you can help it along yep. by doing that. Um, and you just, yeah, it's just patience. So you can start with pretty ordinary soil. And if you keep adding organic matter to it and mm. blending it in or just putting it on top, the worms will do the job of, mm. of yep. moving it all through. And ultimately, it'll be a really good soil mm. and be more moisture retentive Mm. um, and and conversely be able to drain (coughs) moisture better as well Mm. yeah yeah yeah. Um, and and also the nutrients you know the the uptake of nutrients for the plants is much easier Mm. Um, and it is it is better than throwing on a chemical fertilizer Mm. which is a little bit like a sugar hit yeah uh, which which ends yes then you've got to go again so that just depletes the soil rather Mm. than um, improves it. Yeah, mm. I, I mean, I I think a little bit of I'm I'm some dynamic lifter pallets for that little bit of longevity through the long hot summer. I think underneath is not something to be you know worried about mm. chemically. I wouldn't, but I mean something like dynamic lifter gives you that bit of longevity through the harsh harshness of it all. So um, yeah, mm. and and but, isn't but overly salt heavy, so it's right. not going to mm. disturb that yeah. sort of. But soil I, I like Evan. I mean, I just think. You know, I don't want my plants, like with the rabbits, like mm. that area. Oh, yes, I've replanted that five times in the last 20 years. And people don't understand that you keep on trying mm. until yeah. it's yep. the same thing with water. We have a bore and the bore is fantastic. We've had it for 20 years. Um, it, it keeps things going in summer. But as AB knows, I've been very, very tough on those plants and not yes. making yeah. them feel luxuriously yes. watered all summer. It's uh, they got to be tough to survive. Yeah, I mm. really love that point too, Loretta. Like, I think we really can train our plants with watering regimes, not only to get deep root systems, so mm. to really go down, like really pen- when we do water, a really penetrating water that gets right down, that really trains that root system down. Mm. But the regularity in which we do it, so yeah. that we've got plants that have that resilience mm. coming into summer, and that they're really set up for the best kind of survival. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you're battling the wildlife as well, which we encourage, but we sort of, I mean... Encourage some of them. Well, you know, that boundary planting underneath in Licoriana, I had the most beautiful display of Alicajarina cousinit. And at long last, you know, patience, it had all joined up. And it was looking just (laughs) beautiful. Oh, yeah, and what are we, six weeks before open garden? And we hadn't had um, deer for six Mm. months. They came in, destroyed. I pulled everyone out. And, you know, this is after sort of seven years of getting them going with that patience. Boy, it's heartbreaking. Mm. I mean, my partner always knows there's a problem when there's this blood gurgling scream. Yeah, it's not a snake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy with the snake. (laughs) 
bloody yeah. dear. There's yeah. also arguments for using um, inorganic malt. And we, we were, yes, sorry. Oh, you go, you so, go for so it, Evan. That's I why I was asking you about, you know, whether you were planting into the granitic sand. Yeah. Because you see that a lot in Europe. That's a, yeah. It's a big thing to do there. Um, they'll, they'll plant into 150 mil of depth mm-hmm. of, um, you know, a, a gravel. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is it lets a lot of, well, it lets all the moisture through because it's very open. So fine mulch can be problematic that you get light rain. It only goes in mm-hmm. the first centimetre. Um, chunky wooden mulch lets it sort of mm-hmm. really go through. <clears throat> With gravels, you get the water through, you get the roots down quite low, and anyone who's got a fire bunker at home like we do know that you don't need much soil on top to really mm. insulate the ground, yeah. mm. uh, insulate below. Mm. So um, if if you have a, a, a gravel layer, the roots can go down and be in the soil below, and they're in a very cool, cool. they're in a very yeah. airy environment, which mm. is also important. Um, and and the drought tolerance that that brings is is really mm. impressive. Mm. The, the flip side is it's pretty hard to maintain if you're pulling it out all the time and change. I don't know. Are you are you doing this? Yeah, I've got so <clears throat> on my verge. I've got a gravel garden in my backyard now, and mm. then I've also on my verge plantings. We've done a little bit what you describe, Evan, where we've got a really thick layer of um, gravel, so about seven millimeters to five millimeters. And we've been using that for the exactly the same purposes that you described because we're not going to be out there watering or anything like that. We really want all any kind of rainfall to go straight down into the ground. It's a very hot environment as well, so we, having a bit of that extra insulation is really great. Mm. And then we're also growing a lot of things that really enjoy free drainage too. And and you're right. So getting started, often you find if you have to do a bit of replacement of plants, um, you know, you can bring a little bit more of that soil up or you need to be a bit careful when you're planting it. But we're seeing some really great results and it can look quite interesting too. It can highlight the plantings in different ways Mm. from having Mm. a different colour below them. Mm. And so, yeah, it's been a really wonderful experiment to start playing with some of this um, gravel gardening and what that can look Mm. like Mm. and what um, our Australian plants and how they respond to that too. It's Mm. really wonderful. We've got lots of uh, podolepis in in a kind of area that we're trialling at the moment, looking fabulous. Mm. So there's a lot of possibilities Mm. with, with using inorganic moisture so that you can really use every single little bit of that rainfall it's mm. not sitting in the mulch layer it's gone right down mm. yeah. 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 yeah 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 there's a, a really good garden in the Wimmera somewhere and Roger Elliott's going to scream at me because he t- he sent me there years ago to have a look at it <laughs> and I forget exactly where it is but it's sort of near the Grampians um, and they they have scoria it's quite a small scoria over all of their gardens it's quite thick a native garden mm. and uh, they swear by it because of this very reason mm. they've been mm. doing it for 20 years or longer and uh, and it does look amazing and the offset of the color mm. as well of course mm. if you've got a gray leafed you know acacia yeah. or eucalypt yeah. or whatever or mm. or eremophila or something it looks amazing against the the, mm. the dark red also mm. it has the <clears throat> advantage of having less management when it comes to weeds so we're finding that compared to having like uh, a co- compost mulch or bare soil or or some of the finer mulches that you can have, you often get a lot of weeds like seeding into them. Mm. And so often with some of um, the gravel, especially if you l- use a larger gauge, um, you can often find that that weeding, that, that weeding 
incursion that can happen in gardens is happening less in some mm. of them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So in, in commercial gardens, we use the chunkiest mulch you can get for, for a couple of reasons. One, mm. one for wind because mm. the new sites that blows everywhere if it's lightweight. But the, the big chunky mulch, okay, might not look the most beautiful, mm. but it... But weed seeds, because there's not as much water adhesion to the small particles, yeah. you don't get the weed seeds yeah. landing there and being able to germinate. Mm. So that's where it's really advantageous to go with chunkier mulches. Mm. So I was, I was doing some weeding out the front in a, in a sort of a bushy area of our place the other day. And I years ago had put you know just sort of arborist mulch down there. It was literally like a carpet. Yeah. Mm. It, it and you peeled it up and it was just the, the regular soil underneath. And extremely it was, hydrophobic. Yeah, yeah, it had really done yep. nothing. Mm. In many respects, it had been detrimental. So, yeah, we're, we're still learning, I think, mm. about yeah, the way yeah. to go about it. Yeah, mm. it can. the finer mulch can need maintenance Absolutely. over time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, look, I just want to get back quickly to a couple of community announcements. Uh, so uh, two of the Open Gardens Victoria Gardens uh, still have um, a double pass each available and one of them is a Pablo's Bloom which is at 6 Wirilda Way in Point Lonsdale. Um, this is a garden which is designed by Alex Cherry. It's a 160 metre square garden, um, beautiful mixture of uh, native and local and exotic plants. And um, the other garden is Treetops at 135 Wattle Tree Road in Hurstbridge, which is a relatively young garden, but it's got uh, several different areas with specialised plantings. Uh, so there's a double pass available for each of those, and you can call us on 94190155 uh, to um, yeah put your name down for those. Uh, also received a text that, the Kevin Hines Garden has its spring fair next weekend. Uh, lots of fun and a great vibe and a great cause, says Kim. So thanks for sending that in, Kim. Um, she says she always spends far too much there. And um, also at the McLeod Rotunda from 10 a.m. Saturday the 14th, um, Sustainable McLeod is having its tomato seedling fundraiser uh, they have other plants and info um, and stuff available to keep fruit fly away, which unfortunately we have to worry about now. Uh, so that's the Kevin Hines Grow Spring Fair, um, which sounds like a lot of fun. And Audrey has text in to say, how do I reduce the pH of a bag of potting mix from off the chart alkaline to neutral? Gosh, I'm surprised that potting mix would be yeah. very alkaline like that. Yeah. I wonder if it's been sitting there for a while. Um, definitely compost. Um, bring it down. I mean, but yeah. to, to bring it down quickly. Um, sulfur. Sulfur. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But um, mm. I'm wondering why it is so alkaline. Yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be exploring that because, yeah, it's quite a surprise that you'd be getting a, getting a potting mix that was that yeah. super alkaline that wasn't mm. designed mm. to be that way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
quite weird. Yeah, I was also going to mention um, something I think is really important at this time of year when things are going mad and you're seeing plants that you're feeling are, which I will I will definitely have on display, um, needing they're, they're coming to the end of their life and often with a, a native garden this is really common, um, depending on how much you've pruned often. But uh, there will be an, a lot of areas which are becoming definitely ready for succession planting and there's mm. a, a number of areas that post which I mean I'm really happy to point this out when you're up there but that I will be pulling things out and and rearranging things and uh, it's it's just part of the process 20 years on you're really going to have that and the things that I've thought oh I should have been on top of that you know and uh, so yeah I think it's a really interesting part of our gardening journey is Mm. that succession planting which uh, I try to do and uh, you'll see there are areas you go gee that looks a little bit average and it is sort of just because it is due. Mm. So, yeah. Nothing like mm. an open garden to pull your finger out, oh. is it? My fingers are dead. I haven't also done I an open garden for years. <laughs> but also, Seven as, for me. Oh. Also, I think, like, as, as garden owners that open, often we can feel a bit self conscious. But mm. I know any time I've gone to an open garden, you're not seeing those areas, you're just mm. seeing all the wonder, the heart, the joy of that that garden as well so so i'm sure so, no, people aren't going to be looking at that they're just going to be <laughs> looking at you gorgeous plantings it's going to be glorious let's uh go to another caller lorraine good morning lorraine good morning question about um about compost mm-hmm. um my daughter's dog last week became suddenly very <coughs> ill and looked like it was having a stroke it's a very greedy little schnauzer and it eats everything, vacuums it up. Anyway, long story short, it went to the vet and had to stay overnight and was very, very ill. And um, they concluded that it had been in a compost heap and um, eaten something called black mould that apparently can grow in a compost heap. Mm. Um, so that was a very expensive little jaunt. I opened my now small compost heap uh, it's just a bin. When I was up the valley on land, I had great big bins. But here I've just got a, a plastic bin. And I opened it the other day and um, the family had put grass clippings in it and it was all covered in black and I suspect maybe it's black mould. Can you tell me anything about that? Hmm. I imagine there's squillions of different moulds and so on that are going in in compost. Um I I think it's pretty unlucky, and uh, that that the pooch has has um, sort of got that, and and labelling it back to the compost. You know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe that's a thing. But um, I I wouldn't be worried about it. I I would just keep soldiering on. I think one of the things about compost is getting the the um, the carbon and nitrogen sort of mix of what you put in. To be very difficult to get yeah, the dry material. It, it, it is difficult. And uh, putting a lot of grass clippings in, of course, you know, is, is at one yeah. end of the spectrum. Well, a family member dumped in there. Yeah, and, and so it is... It's covered with black. Yeah, and, mm. it's a bit, and it's a bit tricky because it, it might be sort of a bit of an anaerobic um, you know, Mold. decomposition mm. that's going on. Um, and so, but it, but again, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Off? 
I, I would, I would, and um, you know. I don't want to inhale it. I can tell. No, you. no, absolutely not. I mean, neither you should if you open a bag of potting mix or anything mm. like that. I mean, there are warnings on those yeah. bags because there are yeah, things I, in there that maybe you know potentially. I mean, I think the, it's pretty unlikely, but mm. it potentially can be harmful. So, yeah, be a little bit careful. But you really need to break up grass and mm. and get lots of it's sort of more woody material day, into it. it. Yeah, it's mm. just aeration. It's so critical mm. when it comes to your Well, compost. the dog nearly died. You know, yeah. couldn't walk. It was staggering about. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Mm. And, and so, I, I know that we do, talking about the potting mix and whatnot, um, there are those things whereby you can get sort of like almost a chronic fatigue scenario yeah, and things like that. You really do have to be wary, but, you know, I've, I've never... Yeah. <laughs> it's not happened to me, and most of us it won't happen to, mm. but you can be unlucky. And predisposition, I think, is plays a part in all of that as well. Mm. Yeah, Lorraine, I'd be... Yeah, pull it off um, and put it to the side, get some sun through it um, and hopefully that fungi will sort of run its life cycle and um, essentially start breaking down and then add the grass back bit by bit over a few months. Yep. Mm. Okay, thank you. Good on you. Thanks, thanks Lorraine. Bye. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right, a question from Will in Thornbury. Uh, I have an acacia pycnantha, golden wattle. It's almost two years old, but this year it didn't flower at all except one or two flowers. I have a prickly moses right next to it that flowered perfectly well. Uh, the pycnantha is in full sun, northwest facing, but it's extremely bushy and dense. I was wondering if that was maybe a reason it hasn't flowered and would it be good to give it a prune to thin it out? Um, I'd leave it. Just leave it alone and let it continue to do mm. its thing. It'll settle down and, um, yeah, start flowering. Yeah. It's young. Yeah, it's I, have a f- I have a few seedlings which are probably mm. about maybe a metre and a half tall now um, that the wallabies have finally left alone. And, um, yeah, that none of them have flowered yet. So, mm. But they will. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. No, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be thinning it out. Just leave it and let it do mm. its thing. Absolutely, yeah. Very good. All right. Good. Have you got good. any more plants over there, Mr. Oh, I've got lots of plants yeah. here. Um, I've got this one, which I, it's a pretty poor little specimen, I know, but <laughs> it's only because I just bought them as plugs um, and potted them up. But it's, it's Corridalis, and it's called Porcelain Blue, so it's Corridalis uh, flexuosa, Porcelain Blue. We've been trialling this in a, a shady garden, um as a as a woodland plant and it has been amazing so now we've bought a whole schoolian of them to to uh to sort of go and that's the patience thing mm. you know trial a plant mm. see if it works in a few different areas and then then grow a hundred of them yeah yeah so then you know that it's going to be successful but mm. you just need a, a year or two yeah. to, to sort of go through that process but it's a wonderful little uh ground cover it's got a grayish foliage uh, sort of a palmate type leaf. Um, and then it has this amazing blue flower that sits above the foliage, so about 250 mil high. Uh, and it is striking, uh, and especially in a shady garden mm. where it, there's not a lot of direct sunlight. Mm. Um, it's just a really vivid blue. 
so a really, really terrific plant. Um, one of the things that we've got next to it is another plant that I've got here called Epimedium Amber Queen, um, which I've brought in before. Actually, um, actually when I was on last, um, I'm just trying to think, someone brought in a bunch of Epimediums. Yeah, so, you know, Amber Queen, uh, well, all the Epimediums are fabulous, mm. and I'm sure you guys grow Epimediums. They're just the, the best woodlandy plant. Um, and as with the Orthrosanthus, you know, blues and purples, blues and yellows, they're all really, really good. Um, so, you know, look out for combinations of plants. Yeah. Get the Super Bloom book that's got yeah. lots of combination plants in it. Um, Go to Loretta's garden and get some planting ideas. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But anyway, that Corydalis is an absolute winner if you've got a shady garden. Mm. Fantastic. All right. Well, on that note, we are going to finish. Unfortunately, I've had a rest. We could have. This has been great. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck for your open garden. Good luck. Yes. So that's next. It's going to be great for Lorenda's garden. Um, Look, I'd like to give a big thanks to our producer Tom Manning, who does an amazing job. Thanks, Tom, and thank you to Liz for doing our socials. Thank you to Jack Semler, Loretta Child, Evan Gorky for coming in and sharing your amazing knowledge and being so wonderful. Uh, Thanks to the listeners for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop, and it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this morning. So until next week, bye-bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.